Dead men tell no tales. Fifty men loaded in man's chest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. Drink and the devil had done for the rest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. What will we do with the drunken sailor? What will we do with the drunken sailor? What will we do with the drunken sailor? The ship with black sails that's crewed by the damned. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Black Pearl Show, a Pirates of the Caribbean cast. It's the daily podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder, and plunder the Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. Hornswoggler, you're just upset with yesterday's Pirate Word of the Week fiasco. And as gibbeted gluttons for punishment, we break out the rum and explore not just the films, but the expanded universe and all things pirates in additional scurvy-ridden episodes each week. It's the first and longest-running Pirates of the Caribbean fancast, which broadcasts five and sometimes six bloody days a week. Freaking bloody days a week. I'm Scott Artis from ScottArtis.com. And I'm Heather Artis from BlackPearlMinute.com. Let me try that BlackPearlMinute.com. Let me try that over. And I'm Heather Artis from BlackPearlMinute.com. Thanks for joining us for Minute 2 of Dead Man's Chest. The show is on the road, and I'm so looking forward to the wide-open nature of Season 2. Now we really have tons of episodes ahead of us. Wouldn't it be wide open waters? Wide open waters. Okay. Yeah, we can do wide open waters. Wide open waters of season two. I mean, we do really do have tons of episodes ahead of us. And that means I'm going to be able to tickle the ears of all the listeners with some acapella singing at some point. Woo-hoo! Oh, it'll be coming. Don't you guys worry out there. Don't fret. I'll be able to grace your ears with some beautiful on tune singing as I brought to you and so many times before. The audience really is clamoring for it after season one, and it gets me all inspired for, for engaging. Yeah, oh. for me singing in some uh, shanty action, especially since I've been listening to the genre and working with songs for our new intro. I'm all shanty ready. I do miss the original ride intro spot we had, though. I heard it so many times it rolls right off the tongue now, forever ingrained in my mind. Ye intruders be... Oh, that's the wrong one. That's... <laughs> Just kidding. I mean that. I have heard that one probably just as many times, because that's how many times I've seen Goonies, most likely. It'd be too late to alter course, matey. And there'd be plunder and pirates lurking around every cove. And Mark Welmy murders matey. Dead men tell no tales. But this is Dead Man's Chest, so we needed to get everyone in the mood. I'm sure there's all kinds of Pirates of the Caribbean news I could discuss, too, but let's save that for another day instead. Jump into Minute Numero Dos. Numero Dos with our... New intro, Dead Man's Chest with singing and drunken sailors and all that stuff. What? That's for all of our Spanish listeners. They at least got... They're going to get those two words. Yeah, they got those two words. <laughs> numero dos. You didn't even put minute as in Spanish. It was just numero dos. <laughs> <laughs> hey! Baby steps here. Baby steps. <laughs> Un momento! Okay, never mind. I'm not going to translate into Spanish. Just to remind everyone about the incredible action from minute one... We don't want everyone getting lost, of course. With all that stuff and plot that happened, people could go, oh, I don't even know what's going on in minute two because they're lost from minute one. So I've waited months to say this again. I've just been waiting for it. In the previous minute, ah, it feels good to get that off my chest. Walt Disney Pictures exercises its status and flexes its Murinay muscles with a full 30-second animated logo. 
Hey, we're here to see some pirate action, Eager. You want to try that over? Hey, we're here to see some pirate action, Iger. But then I eat my words when Captain Hook's pirate ship makes a cameo appearance and gives me a nice warm glass of shut the hell up and a healthy pixie dusting. In an opposing, humble move, Jerry Bruckheimer Films manages to forget to identify themselves in their logo, a bold move when partnering with the mouse. A clap of thunder and finally some freaking dark, creepy, tumultuous waters that can only signify happy days ahead. <laughs> Minute two begins with the disappearance of the Pirates of the Caribbean title and the appearance of a slightly transparent subtitle reading Dead Man's Chest, which fades to black just as we hit the mandatory 10 second recap beginning cutoff. Blast it! The minute ends with Redcoat standing in formation on the Port Royal Beach. A mysterious figure in a black riding coat rides a pale horse. The soldiers are running through town and a wet, disheveled Elizabeth Swan gets a close-up. Did you want to start things off for this minute? Or much like the mysterious figure in black, the man in black? That's my Johnny Cash shout-out, by the way. Or do you want me to do the dirty work like usual? Go ahead and do the dirty work. I knew it! I'll chime in when need be. You're a chimer. You're like a sidler. (laughs) Gotta get my Tic Tacs. Man, that's such an obscure Seinfeld reference to the Seidler <laughs> episode. Give him Tic Tacs just so you could hear him walking around because he's so quiet. People out there going, Tic Tacs, what the hell is that? <laughs> oh, the Seinfeld reference. I'm already about to break our rule that if we haven't seen it in the minute yet, then it doesn't exist. How? Yeah, I don't know how it's possible. We're in minute two, but it's something I think it's a bit appropriate, important to mention from a creative aspect. Are you sure? And we won't revisit it because we're not going to revisit this later on. So I think I will throw caution to the wind and then we'll get back to the official rules afterwards. But I think we have to talk about it. The subtitle Dead Man's Chest is a slightly transparent text that really allows the ocean waters to give it a full movement or life about it. Because it's slightly transparent so you see the waves beneath it. So it looks like it's kind of moving like a shadow. It's like one of those seeing eye pictures you could never do. Because you probably didn't notice this. That's why I'm saying that. She's all like, I don't see any hidden image. What? The heck? Throwing you under the bus? Just ridiculous. Because if you look at it with the right perspective, it almost appears as if the title is just below the surface of the water. Okay. Depends how you're looking at it. And the reason that I think this is interesting is that, sure, you could attribute it to being kind of a seafaring pirate movie thing. Reference. The water, obviously. Yeah. But it's really a link to the fact that, okay, spoilers, this is a movie with... Davy Jones and Davy Jones's locker. A below the surface reference that will be part of this plot. And mm-hmm. I'll just leave the rest later, or I'll just leave the rest for later as we talk about it. But it really is this subtle tie into the characters we will encounter in this film. And I thought that was pretty cool how they did the subtitle. Dead Man's Chest was kind of under the water. Yeah. That's the other one, cool. Pirates of the Caribbean, as you saw when that came out in the first minute, the logo was gold and it shimmered on top of the water. There was a reflection on it. Yeah. Dead Man's Chest. Looks like it's slightly below or is on the water because of the semi-transparency with it, which leads us into what is going to happen with Davy Jones, Dead Man's Chest, and that kind of stuff. So that's why I thought it was appropriate to mention it now because it was right in this beginning. This is not something we will revisit later on. Right. I had to get it in the show. Okay. Told you. We're here to scrutinize and analyze. So now for Dead Man's Chest. And... I'm not talking about the chest in regards to the Pirates of the Caribbean universe, but the actual Dead Man's Chest reference and origin. Because we see it, there's the words, now opens the door for me to talk about it. Right. It's not like in the first minute I'm talking about it. Talking about it now. So it adheres to the rules. Got it. Do you? Nope. But it, Dead Man's Chest is a fascinating tidbit for pirate, kind of this history, and even literary lovers out there. And it really is this, well, why not 
include a jump into some history right out of the season gate. You know? Yes. Let's do it. See, it's not all racy euphemisms here. Not we at do all. have a lot of it is. A lot of it. But we do have a more intellectual side every now and then. We it's drink our tea with our pinkies out of the in the air, dangling or dangling pinkies extended. Just like the rest of high society listeners out there. We're with you guys. We know you do that. It's also good that we can uh, talk with the regular folks out there, too. Don't worry. We got you covered, guys. <laughs> we'll close our pinkies in on that, <laughs> on that little teacup. We'll smash that teacup when we're done drinking we're, it. We're well-rounded individuals. Yeah, that's right. We can float with high society and the dregs like you guys out there. Well, some of you. You know who you're talking about. Or I know who we're talking about. Maybe we're part of the dregs, actually. Now that I think about it. <laughs> Dead Man's Chest, also known as 15 Men on the Dead Man's Chest, or Derelict, is a fictional sea song originally from Robert Louis Stevenson's novel Treasure Island in 1883. Hmm. It was expanded in a poem titled Derelict by Young E. Allison, published in the Louisville Courier Journal in 1891. See, Heather, and I say this from the bottom of my heart, you're not the only one known as a derelict around here. There's a poem out there with your nickname on it. Just thought I'd mention it, so you don't have to feel bad about that anymore. Oh, thank you. Stevenson found the name Dead Man's Chest among a list of Virgin Island names in a book by Charles Kingsley, possibly in reference to the Dead Chest Island off Peter Island in the British Virgin Islands. As Stevenson once said, Treasure Island came out of Kingsley's At Last a Christmas in the West Indies, 1871. Look at we're in the Christmas Yuletide season. Oh, perfect timing. And I just mentioned Christmas. Perfect. Didn't even have to. Just in a book. So Christmas is there. It's like one of the movies that vaguely have Christmas in it. There you and go. they claim them as Christmas movies. Yeah, exactly. We're not going to start that debate here, though, so we're not even going to mention some of those. But this book by Kingsley, At Last a Christmas in the West Indies, is where Stevenson said he got the idea of Dead Man's Chest. That was the seed for it. Stevenson apparently saw the three words Dead Man's Chest in Kingsley's book among a list of names, which kind of germinated into Stevenson's mind. It was... Something that grew into this novel, Treasure Island, and the song. Yeah. So in Treasure Island, Stevenson only wrote basically the chorus. And he left out the remainder of the song and because there was just nothing there. He didn't write it. And to the reader's imagination, he just kind of left it up. It'd be like the Friends. The Friends uh, music. What the hell is that? I can't even think it's the intro. What the hell is that? What is that called? I can't even think of what it would be called. The theme song. Holy Jesus. <laughs> the Friends theme song became so popular and it only had a small bit. Yeah. And then they ended up had the the group had to go back and write and finish the song and then it became for yeah. the radio. It's kind of the same thing. He just had the small part and he left the rest up for the imagination and for the readers to uh to think about in their head. See, now I'm sitting here trying to think of the Friends theme song and I can't do it. Blasphemy. <laughs> and Treasure Island back to actual proper literary works and I can't believe I'm actually weighing friends in Treasure Island. This is ridiculous. This is patently absurd, and I should be uh, drawn and quartered for even putting those two in the same sentences. In Treasure Island, Stevenson only wrote the chorus, leaving the remainder of the song, as I said, unwritten to the reader's imagination. Fifteen men on... I should probably sing it. Is this an opportunity to sing it? Wow. Uh, This is an awesome second minute. I don't know if I'm going to sing it. I don't know if I can do it. Oh, go ahead. No... Fifteen men on a dead man's chest, yo-ho-ho and a bottle of rum. Drink and the devil had done for the rest, yo-ho-ho and a bottle of rum. And I needed the music for that. I'm a little rusty over the the season break. Another lyric in the novel near its end. You've been singing it all all break time. Yeah, but I've had the music to go along with it, so it's different. 
Okay. But what? See, now you messed me up. I was supposed to sing this next part because this is the other oh, lyric. Oh, I'm sorry. Go but ahead. one man of the crew alive, what put to sea was 75. I don't even know. See, now look at I didn't even say it. It's kind of like a rhyming thing there. <laughs> but one man of her crew alive, what put to sea was 75. That was the other part he wrote. Other variations of the poem were printed in the late 19th, 19th and early 20th centuries that claimed to be folklore, but in reality were nothing more than new extensions from Stevenson's original work. One appeared in the Chicago Times-Herald named Stevenson's Sailor's Song by an anonymous author who claimed to hear it being sung on the wharfs of Chicago by a group of old-timey sailors who, when asked where they learned the song, replied, We never learned it nowhere. We allers knowed it. <laughs> That's a direct quote from the newspaper. We allers knowed it. Now there is your pirate word of the week. There you allers go. knowed it. Allers. And uh, I had to deliver that. Good job. I allers knew you'd screw up the pirate word of the week for the first week. See, look at it. I just used it in a sentence. Where's the history? I just told you the history. The yeah, Chicago. That's not the first time they said it. I just told you all the history about it. That the Chicago, that these sailors there, where did you hear it? And that was just the way that they spoke because they were uneducated. So they said, well, allers knowed it. How dare you try to question me? And I gave you history and everything on it. The story was meant as a hoax, but some took it seriously. Another appeared in print as Billy Bones's Fancy supposedly pieced together from various fragments, suggesting an antiquated origin, but in fact it was an adaptation of the Times-Herald piece. And as Stevenson's stepson Osborne once said, 15 men was wholly original with Stevenson. And as Stevenson himself said at the last by Kingsley, that was the seed of his invention. So the song has been really widely used in the arts for well over a century now and continues to this day, which is pretty cool. Yeah. There you go. Dead Man's Chest, brought to you by Scott. No help from Heather over there. I helped in some way. Oh, you helped in some way. Okay. I'm just going to say it. Yes. And it's the wedding topic. And this is the last time I'm going to say it. Well, these three words when it comes to weddings. I'm in love. With me? Arr! With the opening sequence of the movie. Oh. How dare you put that in there? Are you trying to scare the bejesus <laughs> out of somebody? The ominous music and an ocean clearly indicate that this is going to be a dark sequel. Yeah. At least in a similar vein as the opening and subject matter of The Curse of the Black Pearl. Lots of parallels with the debut movie, for sure. That tone really, I think, just sets this mood. Well, this isn't an upbeat shanty story like the ride would be. At least part of the ride would be. Not the fire town Brimstone burning. Brimstone and, and yeah, fire. and skeleton stuff. But kind of there. At least the song is upbeat. The close-up of the flooded teacups. The soaked music sheets. The torrential rain goes hand-in-hand, hand, I think, with the dark waters that we saw in the beginning. Yeah. Then we see a wet, disheveled Elizabeth Swan in her wedding gown and holding a bouquet. Her big day has been rained out, and let's just say it hasn't gone as planned. I'm guessing that's probably some good apt words. But what really caught my attention with this shot is that on second 33, and everybody really needs to hear this. What? This is getting... Hey, analyze and scrutinize the Pirates of the Caribbean one blimey minute at a time. And you're saying because I pulled out a certain second? Go ahead. How dare you? I mean, seriously. You can clearly hear amongst the somber musical score that the same music used to highlight and symbolize the curse of the Aztec gold. There's a few bars of that that are played while focusing in on Elizabeth. So when you would always see the Aztec gold and the curse yeah. in Curse of the Black Pearl, there was a certain music that came with that. That, a few bars of that, is actually played when you zoom in on Elizabeth at that point. Huh, that's interesting. It is interesting, because does this mean she is cursed? I mean, it's crazy good to give us this link to the first film and get our minds wondering what in the hell happened with this audio clue. Because you're wondering, is the wedding just rained out? 
Did Will leave her at the altar? What the hell happened? Perfect audience setup and tension building. Because you don't know. I mean, if you're looking at it from the very first, doesn't it look like she almost was like jilted? Yeah. Jilted at the altar. She She's like sad and, and lost. Yeah. And, and, yeah. Like Will is gone and yeah. you're going, what the hell is going on here? Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. That music that they play those few bars right when they zoom in on her. Yeah. Is really kind of eerie. And you go, oh my God, that's the, the curse music. She's cursed. It's all dark out. Then, of course, Elizabeth gives way to a George Washington crossing the Delaware moment as soldiers and a mounted figure are making their way from Port Royal Harbor to shore. It just reminds me of George Washington painting. Yeah, it, I can see that. I know it's, he's not. I know George isn't on the horse because I go by George with him. We're that close. But you're old. I'm up there. Let's just say that. It does. For some reason, it just reminds me of that. It's like this kind of really statuesque strong pose i don't know something just it just caught my attention it just really reminds me of that painting which now i can't think of the painting name unless it's george crossing the delaware i don't know what it's called mr george damn it what the hell is the name of that i'll have to look that up later and all you can yell at me at least i admitted it admitted my one fault in life but this mounted figure and all the army and these guys soldiers are making their way to shore we also get a clue that these men are under the direction and or serving under the East India Company flag. Because we do get that quick flag shot. Yeah. And that's what I really like about this. There's a quick flag shot. It reminds me of, you know, quick shots of the flag and Curse of the Black Pearl. With the the quick turn and look of the, the Jolly Roger on the Black Pearl when it slips into the fog in the beginning of the movie. There's a lot of parallels in the beginning of these two movies. And that's another one of them. The quick shot of the flag. Just boom. Real quick. There it is. And it's just like the one that was in the Black Pearl. Right. You kind of have Elizabeth in this daze, in this haze. where she's Daze or a haze? Daze and a haze. Because okay. it's foggy out. Or it's rainy out. There was fog in the original one. There really are a lot of parallels between the two. And it's just really interesting to, to look at them and to kind of do a comparison on that. Which, by the way, speaking of flags, the flag shown here that represents the East India Company is a fictitious version of this East India Company flag. And it was one that was never really used. So it appears that this flag for the company that has enjoyed some popular usage lately is more of a modern invention that's been perpetuated through use in movies like this Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Man's Chest and TV serials such as Taboo. So it's not a historical flag at all. It was never used by the real British trading company. Huh. The real flags had a number of incarnations, but a commonality among them were red stripes on a white field and usually something in the upper left corner was oh, there. Okay. So the real kind of this movie version that we see here kind of is vaguely inspired by or maybe inspired by the VOC logo. There was a, a logo on this VOC or this VOC logo on the Dutch East India Company flag, the oh, Dutch okay. version of it. So, ah, oh, those guys, they just wanted to make up their own flag for some reason. Maybe because it looked well, a little more ominous, this flag. That, maybe it was just more, it explained a little bit more. It who? does. You're right. Because the other, that one actually has like, it has the initials. So you could kind of yeah. see that it is. The other one did not. Or VOC, people wouldn't even know what that was. So the other ones did not have that. So that's true. It does have some explanatory purposes. Yes. So people can go, okay, that's with the East India. If they flash the other flag, people will be like, what the hell is going on here? Yeah, exactly. What country see? is that? Because they're... That piece that I mentioned that's up in the upper left corner sometimes, sometimes that looks like the British flag or things like that. So it wouldn't have said anything. You would have thought it was a company. This actually, or a country, this actually looks more like a company type flag. Right. So there is some back and forth. 
shots too of Elizabeth and the soldiers. So Elizabeth is sitting stone-faced, clearly upset, and then the soldiers are kind of all business going on. What also upset drama ante here in this minute is that there really is now this ambient sound. Well, maybe there's nothing. Maybe there's no ambient sound, actually, except for a few well-placed instances of light splashing water, rain, the impact of the horse jumping off the longboat onto the sand, and then a crack of lightning. A mother also pulls a girl inside their house as the soldiers run by, and you can hear kind of like a door slam shut. Yeah. But other than those, like, small instances, the sound in this minute is all score it's all musical score that's what's awesome the music is setting the tone and matching with the dark visuals there's no other sound you don't hear a bunch of other sounds going on it's all just some music that's what makes this scene and like the curse of the black pearl there's no credits it goes from a title to the movie directly right that is an impactful opener i contend and that's setting the mood for what it's like what the hell is happening here all hell is breaking loose When we're seeing that in the beginning, the first two minutes, what the hell is going on? Especially in this minute. I mean, it's setting up like you guys are going to be in for one hell of a ride. Exactly. It's a Debbie Downer. (laughs) Well, it's got you wondering, you know, with Elizabeth looking so sad and, and upset and lost, like I said earlier, it's, you're kind of wondering if she was left at the altar or was there a death or, you know, something along that line. I mean, she's sitting in the rain in a wedding dress. Even if the wedding was rained out, they would have moved everything inside and not left everything out there, especially her. Exactly. You know, so it's kind of a, it's kind of an odd situation. Yeah, because the last we left, all was love and kisses. Right. And Jack falling off the cliff and reuniting with his love, the black pearl in the ocean, and heading out onto the horizon. It's all smiles, all fun and games. Now at second 36, we get a great shot. Adding to the mystery of the man in charge, riding his horse, decked out in a black coat, hat and tie for his blonde hair, a foreboding character. So all that stuff that you were talking about is meshed with this mysterious writer figure and is none of that happy stuff that we left with, this happy ending that we got. Yeah. And yeah, it's just, it leaves you questioning what is going on with all this? What is the situation? How did things get so bad? What happened while we were gone? Exactly. I mean, of course I can't let everyone down and gloss over the fact that this is like a man in black on a pale horse thing going on here. Here's my second shout out for the day. Well, it's to Clint Eastwood, Pale Rider. If you haven't seen Pale Rider, I recommend it. I really do love that movie. It's a great Clint Eastwood movie. Yes. By the way, the horse jumping onto the beach and riding along a formation of redcoats from the British Army was well choreographed. Part of this action was filmed against the blue screen. A trainer rode the horse onto the boat, which had been equipped with special ramps that provided comfortable access. Yay for the horse. For safety reasons, all rowers or trainers or stuntmen who counter... For safety reasons, all rowers and trainers were... Well, all rowers and trainers were stuntmen or... All rowers... What what am I saying? All rowers were trainers and stuntmen. Not all rowers and trainers, because that would be weird. (laughs) All the... Why would they have trainers there with them? So, yeah. Okay. All the rowers, they were trainers or stuntmen. That's what I want to say. And they counterbalanced the horse's weight on the vessel, so they had to actually make sure that it wasn't going to... Tip over and do that kind of stuff. Rubber matting and slats were laid along the length of the boat to provide traction and sure footing for the horse, which stood on a planked ramp to provide the slight angle seen in the film. So a seasoned stuntman jumped the horse onto the shore. For this shot, a second boat without a bow was used so the horse could easily jump over the edge. Huh. Ah, movie magic. (laughs) Another behind-the-scenes horse-jumping rowboat, longboat factoid. 
The arrival by horse on the rowboat was one of the original ideas by writers Terry Rossio and Ted Elliott for The Mask of Zorro. In that film's original script, Don Rafael Montero was to be introduced to the story by a mounted horse aboard a rowboat, but the idea was considered too expensive and was scrapped. Wow. However, director Gore Verbinski opted to use the idea in Dead Man's Chest for Beckett's introduction. <gasps> I said his name. Ah! The heck? Our mysterious guy's introduction. Aye! Just purge your ears, folks. Oh, man, I brought You're always a... spoiling things. I did. Let's pretend we didn't know that. We'll beep that out. What were you going to say? Just jump in whenever you have something to say. So my first, my thoughts on when they were kind of going from Elizabeth to the soldiers to Elizabeth to the soldiers, yeah. I kind of got the feeling, was this a dream or was she thinking back or, you know, something that we didn't see while we were between movies, you know? It was kind of that, it, the screen kind of gave you the way they recorded this it kind of gave you that idea of you weren't quite sure if it was a dream or thinking back or what was going on there well i yeah so that's yeah i completely agree and i think that and i was trying to remember back actually is what i should say to when i first saw this movie what was i thinking and i couldn't really do that but when they do it in that direction in that format you're there's a couple of things you're thinking Okay, there's a direct correlation with the soldiers that are coming ashore in Elizabeth Swan. So are they coming for her or are they coming for Will? Is that what's happened and why Will isn't there? What's going on with that particular moment? Or is she thinking back? Is she sitting there? This was going to be her wedding day. It was all set up and now she's thinking back maybe the past few days or maybe the past week or the year. You don't know. Yeah. And... Maybe something happened to Will. These soldiers came and got Will. And now she's sitting up there and forced to marry big old Norrington. Mm, big old Norrington. So he's finally got his day. So you don't know. They completely set this up to leave it wide open as to what is going on in these this first minute of the movie. Right. First two minutes of the movie. It really is. It's, it, it is a wonderful job at building that suspense and tension. The first minute of the movie. Exactly. Well, this is minute number oh, two. Minute. So minute number two. Yes count minutes by like one minute and then two minute and then you know which minute you're in you know what this is <laughs> ah! i just got the the flip off in the studio that's a little rude but yeah completely agree this is just another element of how they master masterfully put this together to create this dark tone to set things off with and actually i have more to say on the pale horse because i can't leave it alone or is it a white horse i don't know or did you have anything else to say no go ahead on that other topic, because I want to get back to the horse, because both work in regards to this old world and Bible prophecy regarding the horsemen of the apocalypse. That's another thing that I thought about when I saw this. Like most people, when I see a guy riding a horse, I think apocalypse. It's just what happens. My mind goes there. I go, oh my God, the apocalypse. For what reason? They didn't have cars back then. He was riding on a horse. It was a pale horse. They a white all horse. rode horse. Hey, I said it was a pale or white horse. Reminds me of the apocalypse. It's dark out. This is the Pirates of the Caribbean universe. We saw curses. Who knows? Is there apocalypse coming? What's going on here? And I think for this minute that maybe there's supposed to be some of that ambiguity. I really think that maybe that is part of the symbolism of this particular shot. Oh, because we can't. Oh, yeah. I said symbolism. Get ready for a ride. Because we can't quite make out the color of the horse. I don't know if we're supposed to see that it's a pale horse or a white horse. I don't know. Okay. Or an ash colored horse. Either way, it's one of those two horses. And... But I think that they both work as far as apocalyptic symbolism. And I'm not saying that it's apocalypse completely, but as far as what we're seeing with Elizabeth, for for her, it looks like the apocalypse has happened. Firstly, the white horse. 
Then I saw when the lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying as with the voice of thunder, Come, I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Keep this in mind as we come to explore and learn about this mysterious rider figure. Although bow was meant to be a bow and arrow, notice there is a bow in this rider's hair when he's riding away. Mm. It's just really crazy that he's... And this guy, like I said, I'm not going to get into it now, but keep in mind who this guy is and comes to be. And is he going to be a conqueror type? Is he going to be taking over things? Okay. So I'm just throwing it out there. I haven't seen the rest of the movie. I'm just guessing. Secondly, the pale horse, as Heather scratches her head like, Jesus, this guy, just going all crazy. The pale horse. When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come, I looked, and behold, an ashen horse. And he who sat on it had the name of death, and Hades was following with him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth, to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence, and by the wild beast of the earth. Now, is this not a way to open the movie called Dead Man's Chest? This guy... As we come to find out, maybe he's uh, got some uh, death thing is going on. How do you know it's not a woman? Could be a woman riding with soldiers. It's really a <laughs> common occurrence back in that day like that. She's in charge of the soldiers. Yeah, that's it. That happened a lot. It's very common back in the day. Very common. She was bought in a bride auction. There and then go. became, you know, in charge of all these guys in the East India Company. That was a real, real big thing for women back in the day, you know? Governess, the CEO of the East India Company. That happened all the time. But seriously, now is this a way to open Dead Man's Chest? It Apocalyptic is. Uh, symbolism. Yep. It really is bizarre, though. They really keep a mystery. The other thing that I thought about when I saw it, if he was really riding a black horse, it's almost kind of the shots of this keeping the uh, the headless horseman kind of a mystery. Is it really a headless horseman? Is it somebody just dressed as one? Because they're really keeping this figure in the dark of who it is. So behind this, you know... Back shots and quick shots of the horse and you can't really see and you don't see any face or anything like that. I thought the white knights always ride on the white horses. Uh, for symbolic purposes, yeah, but uh, not for apocalyptic purposes. Oh, okay. That's what I'm saying. That's why I would have... It was interesting. That's why I thought maybe it was some kind of symbolic apocalypse thing. Not necessarily in terms of the world, but maybe for Elizabeth's world. Right. Because... Typically, you give that kind of guy or this figure, the bad guy, if you want to call him that, not that we know who this is yet, the black horse. It's it right. really, this is kind of a slap in the face of that. But the rider is all in black. As I said, black coat, black tie, or black bow, black hat. Right. There you go. I don't know. Happy days are here again, folks. We are in for one wild ride. And as the precedent set in season one, I always got to leave on a high, a happy note. Today, that's the apocalypse. What's wrong? It's not a happy note? Do you have anything else? Normally, one would say an apocalypse is not a happy note. Oh, you just shook my world. <laughs> just woke me up. But do you have anything else? Seriously. Nope, that's it for me today. So I can say, yes, apocalypse is where we're going to end. It's always good to end on the apocalypse. Always good. Oh, it always makes me smile. <laughs> we'll be back tomorrow with minute three of Dead Man's Chest. Some craziness, probably, and probably no apocalyptic talk. Apocalyptic. I don't think I said that right. Well, we'll go with it. It's one of those. Eh, you know what I mean. Until then, you blooming cockroaches, let's keep the horn swoggling to a minimum. Now get out of here.
You've been listening to The Black Pearl Show, and we appreciate it, scallywags. Heather, I know you're still on pirate time and kicking back with the booze, but you may have noticed... Actually, who am I kidding? The only thing you've noticed lately is the inside of the Faithful Bride Tavern. Anyways, our procrastination has paid off yet again and Season 2 is here and we are willfully unprepared. Maybe we can distract people with a Jack Sparrow wave of the hands and send people across that thing called the internet. Check us out on Facebook.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, Twitter.com slash Black Pearl Men, Instagram.com slash Black Pearl Show, SoundCloud.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean, that's for best of clips, and by all means, give us a plug and review on iTunes. We'd appreciate it, mateys. Oh, and let's not forget the Facebook Cursed Crew listeners group for post-episode discussions. That's actually a lot to remember, especially if you're in a foggy haze like Heather. Just go to blackpearlshow.com and everything is there at the click of a button. Perhaps I should have just said that from the beginning. This is a Shoutreach Media Production. Pirates don't need no stinking disclaimers, but just for fun. I think all you dirty, filthy bildrats know that Disney and Bruckheimer Films have no affiliation with us at all, and we have none with those blooming cockroaches. We talk about Pirates of the Caribbean, which is their property, and all that other fun stuff. But I think it's obvious what's ours and what's theirs. There's no need to blur the lines or stir up a bloody rum-filled sweat. As for the music... That's with permission or licensed under Creative Commons. So let's give a shout out to Ross Bugden, Six Nail Coffin, and Tommy Wynn. The rest? Well, that's just me. Oh, and maybe Heather.